If you enjoy this podcast and would like to support us in exchange for exclusive access, early access, and so, so, so much more, check us out over on Patreon. You can find us at www.patreon.com slash aaopera. Hello, 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 and welcome back to AA Opera Podcast, episode 67. Whoop, whoop. It's so good to be back and to be in the same room with you, Avi. I'm still not over it. (laughs) I have to say, though, this is going to be our very, very, very last ever episode that we record at the Royal Academy of Music. I believe so, yeah. (sighs) That's a bit sentimental, isn't it? I know. It all started in rooms like these. (laughs) And now we must spread our wings and fly away. Fly, 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 fly. Because next week when the episode comes out, we will be graduating. We'll be, yes. Next Friday. Next Friday. Good timing. Look at that. Look at that. So when you guys are all listening to what's been going on and our next week's guest, who is also incredible, you will um, enjoy this and we will be enjoying maybe some champagne yes yeah very much so um oh it's just so lovely it's so lovely the fact that our graduations will be on the same day as well i know (sighs) photo op but it's funny because i was really expecting it to be across the street yeah but it's not it's in somewhere else some freemasons place around Covent garden yeah um anyway we'll tell you all about it next time but avi how's your week been my week has been uh, great. I feel like it just started, but who cares? Um, I had a really great weekend because on Sunday, my husband and I finally went on the wedding dinner that we had planned for December for when yep. we got married, which was very exciting. And we got a gift card from one of his students to the Oshalangi restaurant in Rovi. <gasps> very nice. I've heard of this. Yeah. We yeah. celebrated like kings and queens. Like, oh. let me tell you. <laughs> Oh. They're like, we looked at the menu and we had a really large gift card, which was very nice. Yeah. And we were just like, we'll have like pretty much all of the things that we can eat that don't have like the things that we don't eat. So no nut, any vegetarian dish, any no nuts, no gluten, that's it. We'll take all of those. And basically the guy was like, um, you might have over ordered. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. He was like, maybe don't get this dish, okay? Because it might not be as good as like yeah. the other ones. Get this one instead. Okay. But we had a really nice time. Oh, so glad. To Four hear that. cocktails. I was going to say, I've heard yeah. a little bit about these cocktails, which sound and, incredible. And then after that, we went to Mr. Fogg's, which is mm. a chain of like bars. But they have a gin parlor where it's designed like a Victorian kind of parlor. couldn't be be more of your street (laughs) yeah and um all the cocktails are really cool and we made friends with the bartender so we had it was nice it was nice it was nice i'm gonna tell you it was a nice it felt like normal life yeah that honestly that is top tip for when you go to bars is make friends with the bartender 100 percent, because you get free shots yeah as someone who used to work behind the bar 100 also the bartenders really enjoy it i feel like Mm, depends on the bartender but I really enjoyed making friends with people. What about you? How's your week? Um, not as exciting. Um, <laughs> I was not celebrating a, a, a dinner as such, but I'm so glad you guys got to do that. And it was worth the wait, right? I, I would be okay not waiting so long okay. next time. <laughs> right. Okay, fair enough. Um, but my week has just been filled with children doing exams. Um, I've been trying to get back into a routine with singing again. Um, so just, just the usual, but I have, as, as we've mentioned, graduation next week and some family are coming down. So I'm, I'm just kind of crawling through the week yeah. and just really, really looking forward to next week. But also that both of us are moving house next week. So, I mean, it's like, yeah, yeah, slightly, <laughs> slightly stressed about that, but I have been enjoying a little bit of, uh, you know, retail therapy buying things for the for the new flat and my pinterest boards at the minute are just on point (laughs) so speaking of retail therapy what are you wearing for graduation oh don't even go there (laughs) well this is the dilemma isn't it i feel bad on my dresses that are in the wardrobe that i haven't had an out in in over a year so i think i'm gonna stick with something that i've already got um i'm not sure what that will be but i'm gonna stick with it yeah what about you I have no idea. Mm. I have no idea. I think I've spent a lot of time trying to shop for something. Yeah. 
Um, but then every time I'm like, will that work? No, I don't think so. I back out and I don't yeah. get anything. It's just the weather is so unpredictable as well. It's like, will it be a glorious summer's day? Therefore, it's I want true. a nice kind of pastel colour dress. If not, I want something just smart and navy or something. My, navy is my go-to, by the I way. I can tell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you can tell. I just Sometimes after I've done the washing, I'll just like look and it's just like white navy, white <laughs> navy, white navy. Um, strong choice. But, 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 but it's time to talk about this week's guest, which is also, you are all familiar with her, because she's also this month's composer of the month, and you've been enjoying her music so far. Um, we love her music, and we can't wait for you to actually get to know her a little bit better. Yeah, Anna is a fantastic human being uh, and composer, so we'll let her take it away and tell you everything she's up to. Here's Anna Appleby. Hello, and we are so happy to be here with Anna Appleby. Anna, can you please introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me here at AA Opera. I feel very privileged to be here as an AA myself, Anna Appleby, uh, slotting right in. Um, <laughs> woo! So thank you so much for inviting me to be part of this podcast. I have already listened to some of your episodes and some of my amazing colleagues have been on here. So it's a great honor to be here. Uh, I am a composer, first and foremost, um, and I've been doing that for about 10 years, but professionally for um, six years as a freelancer. Uh, I live in Stockport, which is just outside Manchester in the UK. And I'm originally from the Northeast, but as I've just discussed with Ashley, who is from the Northeast, <laughs> I have lost my accent, which is a great tragedy. Um, yeah, so I write a lot of uh, collaborative stuff. So I like opera and dance because I get to work with writers and choreographers. And that's my favorite thing to do, but I'll just do anything really because I love the arts. So I do a bit of, um, bit of everything. Yeah. That's fantastic. That's the best way to be. Um, but we are an opera podcast, so first of all, we would love to hear, um, what was your first experience with opera? Well, when I was growing up, I thought opera was this sort of very distant thing. I had no idea like what it really was. Um, I knew about opera singing and I used to think it was really funny and I used to try and imitate it when I was a kid very badly. <laughs> and my family didn't really like opera. So I would never have imagined that I would fall in love with it the way I have. So um, when I was 18, I think I was just starting at university and one of my friends said that she couldn't go to um, Tosca. She had a spare ticket. She wasn't very well. So I was like, oh, amazing, I'd love to go. And I um, I went to see Tosca by myself. And I just absolutely loved how like over the top, full on, like, oh, I got so into it. I think I cried. I was just like, this is amazing because I'm just very extra as a person. And I think like classical music, some of it's very like well-behaved. And I think opera just isn't well-behaved at all. So I think <laughs> I felt very at home. That was when I kind of thought, actually, like, I'd love to get involved in this. And then um, also I heard some of the most beautiful singing I'd ever heard in my life. And I realized I actually love opera singing and I love the operatic voice. It's just that you get this idea of like this kind of cartoon version of it, um, maybe from like pop culture. So yeah. that was what drew me in. And then in my um, undergrad, I just took all of the opera um, optional modules that I could. So like... There was 20th century opera and um, there was one where you'd like devise your own chamber opera as a group and i'd never like sung or anything but i just decided to go for it <laughs> and i had to sing and it was really funny um and i also did um the wagner module which i really hated um but i learned a lot and i did the um I'm sure i had to do like a 17th century opera one as well so i just did so much opera at university and like just really loved it and I thought this is mine now because you know when your family don't love something you get to claim it as your own so that was like from that yeah yeah so that was like what started me off on my opera journey <laughs> Great answer. that's amazing what a way to start because like Tusket is like as you say it's the most dramatic it's the most over the top she's like 
the epitome of a prima donna. Like, she yeah. is just, like, poor all the stereotypes, but she's great. I mean, it's my favourite. I, th- I think we both, yeah, we both said, like, on here that uh, it's it's our favourite opera. We do love Britain on here, but I think we, we mutually uh, <laughs> love a bit of Tosca. <laughs> but... Um, I would actually like to go way, way back and hear where your love for music began and what drew you then to composing. Great. Okay. So um, my parents don't like opera, but they are folk musicians and they love folk music. And I absolutely love folk music still. I just still cling on to that. So I grew up hearing my parents' Kaylee band um, practice in our sitting room. I'd be like, I'd be sent up to bed at, you know, 7.30 or 8 o'clock and I'd just be lying there like blissfully listening to them playing and actually <laughs> to be fair no shade to my parents but like they didn't really practice very much so it probably sounded even better coming up through the floorboards <laughs> it just used to sound like amazing it would just like be a lullaby sending me to sleep and then I would go to Kaylee's all the time with them because they were always being hired as a band to go and do um dances just all over the northeast um they weren't like they used to just, um, they were called the Last Straw Kaylee Band, which they was like such a jokey name because they were just like, yes. if you've had a, we're just going to finish you off. Like, what has <laughs> happened in your week? Like, come talk Kaylee and you're just like, nah, I'm done. Um, so I used to do a lot of dancing as well. And it was just such a great way to be, um, to get into music because it's just so visceral and so communal and sociable and just, lovely and it's also so northern like that's it's scottish as well but in the northeast has got huge folk connections and yeah so that was amazing and i think also i used to um listen to my parents record player they let me use the record player and i played their simon and garfunkel best of like record (laughs) all the time and i also played their um they had a few classical ones and all sorts of things and mum said that when I was in the womb she used to play Mozart to me so there you go you can take take from that what you will (laughs) so then what drew you into composing then what was the link to start writing your own music um yeah that came a bit later so um I only really knew that I didn't know that there were any non-male composers I like I think I was about 16 and I'd been in a youth orchestra for a couple of years as an oboist and I felt like a bit of an imposter because I didn't feel like a classical musician I felt like someone who just loved the arts and loved music and my mum had taught me piano growing up and I you know I was a musician but I wasn't kind of a superstar child like I, I wasn't like a classical musician child at all I was just someone who loved the arts so I was in this youth orchestra and I was really scared all the time that someone would find out that I didn't know what was going on and they'd find me out and they'd like suss that I wasn't supposed to be there (laughs) and then um we went on this tour to Sweden and I got to play in um Holst's Planet Suite and I think being with this like Swedish youth orchestra as well um on tour and playing that music in Gothenburg Symphony Hall was just like it blew my little mind because suddenly (laughs) I felt like a classical musician I was like oh my god I'm actually allowed to do this like am I actually allowed in this world this amazing pristine inaccessible world that I thought it was and um yeah I realized like maybe I could be a musician but then what happened was my shoulder started getting really bad and I got to the point where I couldn't actually play the oboe anymore because my technique was all wrong and I was like just in so much pain and I couldn't even Mm. play the piano even though I've been playing the piano for like 12 years by that point or something and I was really really devastated so I needed an outlet and um I thought maybe I could write music instead and so I just had to do it because I needed the musical connection and outlet so it was quite a sad place to start from Um, And I wrote very angsty teenage music to begin (laughs) begin with. Um, But then I began to like discover like contemporary composers and realized that it was actually a viable career option. I had no idea. And that's when I decided to study music at university. Um, But I was actually looking through my old stuff because I was going through all my boxes and I found um, some little compositions I made from when I was like five. And there's one called oh, the swan oh. and i've tried to like 
imitate musical notation, but I couldn't actually write it very well at that point. I just started to read it, but I couldn't really write it. So it's got like eight lines on the staff. <laughs> it's got like eight lines, just like random blobs. But then I've put the note names above them. So you can just about work out what's going on. But it goes, a mother swan was swimming in the lake. She saw her children and said, go to the lake. And then it's got some notes. And I wrote that and I was like five. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> You see, it's little things like that where you notice, like, you just have it in you, don't you, from a certain age. Like, it's, it's just meant to be. <laughs> it's the stroke of madness, I think. Yeah. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a lovely routine to compose in, I think, in the end. Um, we would love to know what inspires you to write. And when you're writing today, do you follow a particular process? Um, yeah, so I think the thing that inspires me the most is people that I work with. So I love working with singers um, because I love working with their voices and their interests and their passions. Um, and I love creating a piece around like the particular person that I'm writing for. That's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, I find it quite difficult to write when I don't know what ensemble I'm writing for or what person I'm writing for. I can do it, obviously, but it's just less fun. Um, and I love working with words. So I love working with um, writers who create a structure and a story um, and a voice. And then I can kind of magnify that voice through the music. And I love working with dancers. I think my favorite thing to do is to work with choreographers because they just create so much energy and movement and space. And that just gives me this whole new dimension. And I think the folk history that I have, like music and dance are supposed to go together on some level yeah. and like, yeah, that's my favorite thing to do. That's what Tchaikovsky yeah. said too. He said his favorite thing was to compose for um, ballet because then he was like so close to the choreographers and they would add like a bar here or a bar there because they were like, we just need a bit more. And he was like, okay, bye. Yeah, he used to work with like Balanchine and like um, quite a few yeah. different choreographers. I watched um, a film about Balanchine and he seems like such a character and I can imagine him and Stravinsky getting on. Like there was this bit in this documentary about Balanchine's cat and there's all these photos of Balanchine with like this massive cat that he had, like huge pet cat. And he's just got these photos of it like balanced on his shoulders, like sliding down balletically down his arm <laughs> and like one of it leaping across the sofa like a, a dancer. And I was just like, oh my God, I can't imagine anyone other than Stravinsky working with this man. Because Stravinsky was just like such a character. <laughs> yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned You're always just wondering like, how did they get along? Why weren't we invited to these parties? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to ask you, like as opera singers, like do you ever get to work with ballet dancers or choreographers or movement directors, I guess? Well, I came into music from ballet. So my thing was I danced ballet from the age of like three and a half, four till 12 and then my knees decided that that's not the career that I should have so then I moved into and then I discovered I was like into musical theater but then I discovered classical singing and I was like this is pretty close to ballet this is very exciting um <laughs> but yeah and I think that it's it it it, it automatically continues the conversation of what you can do on stage when you have movement um, and we do work with movement directors quite a bit now because they're on pretty much every production that you're going to go work on now, which I think is very important. Yeah. And we've, we've had, um, we've had movement directors on here as well. But I think it wasn't until, um, like for me personally, it wasn't until I went to RAM and started working on productions there that you get to work with movement directors and then they make you focus in on, on the music and it's like even though it's not traditionally dance you you really like focusing in on your movements and it's it's uh it's very very interesting <laughs> yeah thanks for sharing that i'm just always so interested in the connections between opera and dance because they're like two of my favorite things so. yeah <laughs> i was huge you know like when kids like watch disney movies i would be like let's watch swan lake Let's watch the Nutcracker with Macaulay Culkin. That was my life. <laughs> that is still one of my favorite things is the Nutcracker with Macaulay Culkin as the Nutcracker. It's one of the best things ever. Yes, it's on Amazon Prime. What? 
so good. Why have I not seen this? I need to watch this. I, I think my parents... I love Home Alone. <laughs> exactly. And it came out in, like, 1993, like, 1994. It was, like, the same time. So, like, when I was two, that's what my parents, like, brought home on VHS, and we had it on all the time. It was, like, I would dress up as Marie from the... And it has, like, a spoken kind of guy in the middle going, like... Um, because in America, she's called Marie, not Clara. So they have this guy, like, and Marie just wanted to be with, like, Lord Drossemeyer, who came to visit, and, like, Godfather Dr- It was just, oh, it's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Abby's oh, childhood on a plane. On a plane. <laughs> it's still, it's the one that they That's do at amazing. New York City Ballet, but this is just the recorded version that they do at New York City Ballet. But they recorded, because they were trying to sell it to, like, parents they record it with Macaulay Culkin doing the Nutcracker instead of like an actual dancer oh really I was gonna say I presume they don't get Macaulay Culkin to come and do the Nutcracker now no 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 but this is (laughs) (laughs) fantastic but how would you describe your composing style to someone it changes sometimes depending on what project I'm doing I'd say that I'm a little bit of a chameleon because I just love to adapt to the situation that I'm in and the context like context is so important Mm. especially with the theatre I think if you're just doing like concert music you can have a very kind of decisive style um and just do that in your pieces but I think if you're working in theatre like you need to be malleable and and change so it does it does flow a bit but um I often say that I like to think my music is a bit like Stravinsky Shostakovich, um, maybe Clara Schumann, maybe um, I would like to, (laughs) I would like to think Nina Simone because I love jazz so much and she's one of my favorites of all time. But like all these people are such icons that like I hesitate a little bit, but yeah. And then also um, maybe like a bit of Bjork and a bit of like, well, I love electronic music. It's like Toki Monster and stuff, like getting really niche electronic music here. But like throw some of those really famous people and then like some really niche stuff in a blender and like shake it all up. And then you get something a bit like my music, I think. Um, yeah, cause it's got like that sort of ethereal electronic thing going on if I'm using electronics. If I'm not using electronics, then it's probably, yeah, quite like the sort of Stravinsky, Shostakovich, Bartok kind of world. And then if it's got voices in, definitely some jazz going on. And if it's um, with dance, then definitely like some folk as well. So I just say like, it's just the things I like really, all kind of thrown together. I I think that's so great. And that's what excites me about, um, you know, composers today that are, having input in the opera industry because I think that's what the industry needs is this um, fusion of, of genres and I think it's it's really exciting. Yeah, so cool. <laughs> um, so another string to your bow, um, in addition to composing, you also write short stories um, and you paint as well. Did your love for writing text come before composing? Um, and if so, how did it shape your compositional style? Wow, thank you. Yeah, I love that you've like checked out all my work online and everything. I feel so flattered. Thank you. Um, yeah, I, I still think like composing is my main job and it's the thing that's like my career, but I just love the art so much. Like as artists, why should we be just one thing? I think professionally, it's fair enough to focus on one thing because you can hone that skill the most, but um. If you love the arts, you love the arts. And so like, like you have to do as singers, you have to be um, actors as well. And you have to do a variety of things to do a role. Um, I think as someone who creates music, especially for wider artistic contexts, like I need to be involved in all artistic things. Um, I still respect people who've like trained more than me. And like, I, I see them as experts and I just, yeah, so I see. I do see myself as a writer and a painter, but I would see myself not as a trained writer or painter, but as someone who's just always done those things as, as activities. Because, like, if you grew up um, doing folk music, 
you accept that music is something that people just do and folk music is about people just doing music just singing just dancing and that's just what you do um whereas i'd say with classical like it's a little bit more like there's a bit of gatekeeping like you have to train you have to have the right um skills um so for me with painting and writing it's been quite similar those were things i just did as a child and i just kept doing them and they, they have fewer barriers to entry like if you can read and write then you can you can write <laughs> um, yeah. and if you can, if you can hold a paintbrush um even not with your hands like even if you paint with your mouth or whatever it is you do like or if you do it digitally um then you can you can paint and um i just always done those things and it's quite freeing to still do them now because they're not to bring in a big income and they're not to kind of like stress about like i don't i don't lie awake at night thinking oh my god people think my paintings are good enough um i don't have imposter syndrome with it i just think i love doing this if people like it then that's a bonus that's great um and with words i think um i always wrote stories as a kid and they were pretty terrible <laughs> but they just that love of stories is like that's what opera is about as well anything anything in the theater is about storytelling really so, um, yeah. We could all take a leaf out of your book for uh, just doing what you love because you love it and not worrying about what other people think. <laughs> yeah, go for it. I have to say your Instagram Sorry, stories also of you just painting are so soothing. Like, they're just like, oh, she's sitting here painting. I'm like, oh, I want to be doing that now. <laughs> oh, I'm so pleased. I wanted it to be like that because I realised, like, um... I don't know I think this year it's been just so stressful for like everybody and something really joyful that's come out of it is just that moment of peace that I can have when I'm just sitting and just painting because it is such a lovely process and I thought why not share the process not just the picture and first I started out just doing like a take a picture every 20 minutes or something so people could see they could scroll and see like the picture developing in bursts and then I thought what's even nicer is like obviously on Instagram everyone's obsessed with like reels and video now and I thought well seeing as video is the sort of new medium of social media which has got problems if I'm being environmentalist like the footprint of our online profiles is like growing and growing and growing so that's something that I do think about but for now like I love the fact that you can share a video and you can just share it's almost like someone's in the room with you. And I think I've just missed that so much this year that I was just like, screw performance anxiety, screw like all my social anxiety. I just want to feel like someone's in the room with me and they can they can be with me while I paint. Because actually, actually that's something I found, I don't know about you guys as performers, but my, um, my like stage fright, performance anxiety, social anxiety has actually in some ways got worse but in some ways got better because I think like so I saw my friend the other day and I felt really awkward like I didn't know what to do with myself because I couldn't go near her <laughs> which was strange even though she's someone I'm like really close to um so that felt really awkward but then when I do live stuff on Instagram I would never have dared to do that before I would have been absolutely petrified I would have been like what if an opera company sees this what if some like big wig sees this and I never get to work again <laughs> oh my god um what if like my friends see this and think I'm an idiot and like that's all gone like I just don't care like I just feel like just bring people into the room bring people into the space virtually because we can't do that really and then yeah just sharing so I'm so happy that you enjoyed seeing that as well I think it's it's what you're saying it's the idea of like bringing people into the room and I I mean I was doing that with YouTube for I have been doing that with YouTube for many years and I think that's one of those things where and it's kind of what we do with the podcast too we invite people in to to talk to us but there is something about the anxiety of like oh if someone sees this will they take us seriously and something else but I think there's more of an understanding after this past year that like people have to do things that are different than what we used to do because that's just the world that we live in and I think for those big wigs this might have been like the eye-opener because they had to all come online and and stuff but I still yeah. want to go back into the theater <laughs> okay. 
Good timing. Oh yeah, definitely. You must miss it so much as performers as well, like, yeah. I miss rehearsing with people in the same room. I think that's... I have a friend of mine and I are doing, like, a electric guitar slash singing thing now where we just get together and, like, try and, like, improvise on the electric guitar and vocally. Um, but it's so difficult because if the way, like, the, the technology works isn't the same, like, it's not all in the same room, so it's, like... Is the Zoom connecting to the microphone, or is the Zoom connecting to the synthesizer, or what are you hearing? And then when I start singing a certain note, it just goes, and it's just like, all right, this is great. <laughs> Can you actually tell us what has been the most rewarding project that you've worked on? Wow, yeah, so um, there's a few. I'll try and choose. <laughs> um, there's things that are rewarding in different ways. I think um, I was really fortunate that just after I did my master's, I mean, I finished my master's and I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be penniless. Like, I have no savings. I am a composer. Who is going to employ me? So I got like, I think I applied for like 100 jobs and did it. And it was like manic. And I was so lucky because one of the first jobs I got was a composition commission. And it was to work with a company called Streetwise Opera, who work with people who've experienced homelessness. And that was my first professional placement. And it was also an opera placement. Um, and alongside doing that, I was also working some minimum wage jobs. Um, and I was doing some, so that was like being a teaching assistant. I was doing stuff in the cafe. Like I was just juggling everything. But it was just this amazing, time where I'd been studying for as long as I could remember I'd just been studying and studying and studying and suddenly here I was in a room with people who just loved music more than I could even imagine I thought I loved music and then I was in a room with these people who like literally were hanging on to music as like a lifesaver and it just actually fundamentally changed me as a person um, Streetwise Opera like such an amazing organization and I worked with them a couple of times um, so that was incredibly rewarding um, and then I think like on the other side of things like um, working with um, Ron Bear Dance Company which I did almost straight straight away afterwards I was again really lucky to get that that was like just magical because I toured the country with them and just got to go backstage mm -hmm. and just find out what it's like being a dancer and being in a dance company and just see all these amazing theatres all over the UK um, and it was just so rewarding to feel invited into that space like a hallowed ground somehow um, so yeah those two things kind of then led me on that path of doing dance and opera for my career I think yeah I was gonna say Streetwise Opera are an amazing amazing um, company and uh it's so great that you've been able to work with them and also so great that coming out of your masters you know you you are able to find that work to just immerse yourself in it and motivate you to continue doing what you're doing that's brilliant and it's so great to see that over the years um you've had some very exciting projects um as an artist in residence um at several opera companies and most recently at glyndebourne can you share with us what it means to be an artist in residence versus a freelance composer. Yeah, so um, I've been really fortunate to get the chance to work with lots of big companies. Um, what I'd say is that what's quite interesting is that even when you're an artist in residence, you're still very much freelance. So like, I think when you're a performer, you get kind of temporary contracts and you'll go on tour and you'll be completely immersed with that company while you're doing a show as a composer you do have that immersion at times but often you're juggling like five different things um if you want to do it full time that is some people do teaching and then they do composing kind of half the time i try and do it full time so i often juggle like a lot of different projects so i've been um in residence with mm -hmm multiple companies at the same time sometimes which is really exciting but also quite overwhelming and I have all these different like boxes in my head now where I just switch into that company like not quite a mind palace I'm not I'm not that clever but like 
I'll just I'll walk in the door of that building and I'll be like, okay, who are all these people? What am I doing? What am I doing here? What am I writing? And then like I'll go somewhere completely different. So I think being freelance kind of is about being in residence at lots of different places at the same time sometimes. Um it's what it feels like. So um what's been really weird is doing it on Zoom because you can't physically switch into like yeah. a building and be like oh this is where i am so my memory has been a bit strange this year because everybody just feels kind of the same because <laughs> i'm always sitting in my house talking to people so that's been really weird um but that said um when you're when you don't have any residencies and you're just completely freelancing it which has been the case sometimes for me um you do have to do some teaching like all musicians do. Um, but I've also had commissions come in where I'm not in residence, but I'm just writing one piece as a one-off. And um, that can be quite nice because you can just stay at home, be comfy, write your piece in your own time sort of thing. But it's also quite hard to get into the right zone sometimes. I think what I love about residencies is you just, yeah, you get immersed in your like, these are the people I'm making this for. This is what this is about. This is the audience it's for. Um, and then the piece just kind of grows out of that organically. So that is really like my favorite thing to do. Um, but it's quite luxury and like, I've really noticed <laughs> not having it this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I've just been really lucky to like have all those opportunities. I think cause I applied for a lot of them in my twenties. I'm 27 now. Um, and I started applying for them as soon as I, finished my master's and just like went for it um and now I'm thinking like I probably won't apply for residencies anymore because I want to let other people have those opportunities because I've had loads already and I'll just focus on maybe writing like longer pieces and getting more deeply into like my practice um <laughs> I guess this year's been like a residency uh, with myself yeah. I think maybe we've all had that a bit but yeah no it's interesting to hear the differences between like what 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 on paper might look like a difference but actually is pretty much for you feels very similar to like it's not like being on a young artist program where you're like intensely in that building and just that building that's very interesting um but you are actually currently also working towards speaking about juggling a lot of things you are currently actually working towards your phd in composing at the Royal Northern with poet, is it Niall or is it Neil? It's kind of halfway yeah. between the two because okay. it's a Scottish name, so it's Niall, Niall Campbell. I'm probably still saying it wrong, but that's that. He's is like he always says it's Niall. halfway between okay. Neil and Niall, yeah. so like Niall. Um, he's from a small island, Hebrides actually, um, in the west of Scotland. So he has an amazing history. Um, yeah, so I'm working with him. Um, to make an opera at the moment and it's going to be played with the BBC Phil, uh, the BBC Philharmonic um, Orchestra and singers who are students at RNCM, the Royal Northern College of Music. Um, so that's really exciting. It's been quite derailed by the pandemic, which is just like everything else, um, but <laughs> it will happen. <laughs> We're getting back on track now. Um, we've actually got an extension to the project as well, which is really fortunate. So, yeah, that's going to be performed and recorded in 2022. Um, and uh, Nial is making the words. He is a poet and um, I am making music. <laughs> How did this yeah. collaboration come to, to fruition? Like, did you guys, was it when you're doing a PhD, obviously you have to apply for it. Did you guys have a thought of what you wanted the composing process to look like or what the opera to come out to be? And how much has that changed or since it's been derailed, especially? Yeah, so um, it's actually quite unusual as a project because you could apply as a partnership, but I didn't have a poet that I was like desperate to work with. I just thought, I really want to do this PhD. It got advertised as like a package. <laughs> um, and I thought, why don't I just apply as a composer and see who they pair me up with? Um, which is quite a risky thing to do, but also exciting. I mean, I love, I've just worked with so many different people over the past however long. 
and sometimes you get on really well and sometimes it's difficult but you always make the peace in the end so um and sometimes the ones that were difficult actually turn out really interesting because it takes you to a different place um so we got paired up by the um people who interviewed us and also our supervisory team who got the funding um including the bbc philharmonic um they kind of paired us up and thought we think this is going to be a great um great project and we've got loads in common because like Niall is from he's from southwest which is in the hebrides and um that is like not somewhere i've been but i've been to iona which is a tiny little island in the hebrides and i stayed there for 10 weeks when i was a student and did like a little um voluntary residency thing there as a, a volunteer with the community and i was the music assistant so i basically like played music for them for 10 weeks um and got to live on this yeah. island which was just like amazing and so i don't know what it's like to grow up out there but i love that part of the world and as someone from the north east of england as well like that folk tradition that is huge in scotland obviously and um that felt like quite a nice connection to have with him because we're from very different backgrounds in other ways like i'm quite a city girl and he's an island guy <laughs> he lives in leeds now um <clears throat> but like that was some common ground um so we talked a lot about like where it would be set would it be on an island would it be yeah and um i can't say too much about it because it's definitely like in development at the moment so <laughs> it's top secret but some of it will be getting shared kind of gradually as a open research process because obviously it's like public money it's funded it needs to be shared so like that will get gradually revealed but i just say watch this space because uh, we're still working on the libretto and then when that's a bit further down the line we're going to have some workshops that will be public with singers um and the bbc some of the players from them and then there will be a final big rehearsal workshop in 2022 and then there'll be that oh, so i can't say too much about it now <laughs> so it sounds so exciting and we will definitely look out for it because this sounds really we, yeah exciting. we absolutely will <laughs> cool um, thank you do you have any advice um for fellow composers out there um well i would say like it's gonna be a bumpy <laughs> ride <laughs> so get as many different kind of um skills that you can because I am very fortunate to be a full-time composer like I remember my family just looking at me like you are this is wild like you're not gonna last like six months doing that that's 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 really wild um but the way I've made it work is by being really versatile and adaptable so um I have done bits of teaching like all musicians do but I've also done really like random jobs um i you know i worked in ticket sales at a theater um for a while that was basically a call center job it's not very glamorous um but i was with loads of actors so it was basically me and 20 actors and it was actually really fun in its own way um but it makes you think about how hard it is to be an actor as yeah. well <laughs> um and i've done all sorts of bits and bobs like that but then the reward is that I get to then go work with big companies and do really exciting things. Because the thing is, being in the arts, as anyone in the arts will know, it's a very risky job. You have to embrace risk and you have to embrace that side of not necessarily knowing where your next paycheck is coming from with the arts. But if you have versatility and not too much pride that you won't just do kind of very unglamorous jobs at times as well then you get to do the glamorous things too because you can take those risks and those chances um so yeah it's been quite a strange and bumpy journey but i've had these like huge highlights as a result and i think the other advice i'd give is oh um i think people always go on about finding your voice and having your brand and knowing who you are and i think that is really important but i also think it's important to not try and know that too soon you know if you're in your 20s like i'm still in my 20s how much of my life have i got left hopefully lots of my life and i hope i'm just going to keep learning so i don't want to have this really rigid brand that people know 
oh, I'm getting an Anna Appleby. Um, because then how long is that going to last? That's going to fade. Um, I want to keep learning from everyone I'm working with. So I do have a voice in the sense that I have, um, I have something I want to say and something I want to share with the world because I have like values and perspectives on things. And I do bring that to the table. Um, and I also have like a musical style um, in the sense that yeah. this blender of all these different people that I love. But I, I, I really do try to adapt and grow all the time. Um, yeah, I think that's the only advice I would have. <laughs> no, but that's great advice because it is true. We, we, we are told to kind of narrow ourselves in, but you don't really want to do that too soon when you don't really know who you are because we look still totally finding ourselves in our 20s. But it's also, being, it's also just being okay that your style can change and it's being open and free about that. So that's really good advice that you've shared. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. I'd also say like we are, it's great that we're doing so much online and that we're sharing things and we're making things accessible. But the, the hazards of online content is that it's called content. I saw a quote on Instagram the other day. Again, the problems of this is I don't even know who said it because like it was just floating around. But um, it said, you know, a great tragedy for artists or a great injustice is that artists being branded as content and artists are being branded as content creators and like how empty is that as a, a concept like you know art shouldn't be about spewing out as much stuff as possible that's as similar as possible to please an algorithm and we have all been seeing this year that the people who are most successful online are not necessarily people i mean all power to content creators like there's some amazing stuff and it's kept us all entertained and engaged in a really difficult year so i have huge respect for them but what i would say is don't equate it with art as a kind of state of being because as an artist you should be seeking to challenge and disrupt not to just please and i think there's that balance and opera is an example of like good opera for me has the balance of disrupting and challenging and also being a spectacle and being amazing if it's just a spectacle and it's just there to kind of like titillate and please and I tend to not really like it and it's more like two-dimensional for me it, it's but so, there's yeah. something about that I think it's also the categorizing content creators who I think are more there to like they're not necessarily artists but it's not giving the differentiation we, we, we built we bill everything under one title now, even though it's several different branches to the um, entertainment scheme. Like someone who is an actor in, uh, I don't know, like one dimensional sorts of TV and film that I don't really know what I'm, where I'm going with this, but like there's those people and then there's the people who do everything, who do theater, who do um, drama, comedy, like documentaries that are uh, direct and do like they do so much more and then it, but they're classed in the same section it's like kind of like that i think that's what social media has done it says you anyone can create but it's not what you're it's not about what you're creating it's just the fact that you're creating yeah i, I think uh, yeah i think as well it's um it's worrying that the experience of art the experience of music the experience of opera has obviously had to change over the past year, um, but the true experience of of art and music it should be in a live setting, and experiencing that music live, and obviously the content which is online, which has been great. You know that opera companies have been putting operas up there. That's great, but we shouldn't. We should do our best to try and get back to live performances as soon as possible. Please, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's also the fact that we've had to like shrink it down to a phone size performance yeah. when opera is meant to be an immersive experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And like maybe I guess the bonus is that we won't take it for granted like ever again. Yeah. We will not. <laughs> um, It'll but, be like four generations yeah. from now. I'll be like, oh, I don't want to go to theater. What do you mean you don't want to go to the theater? <laughs> You're going to the theater right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just how. I mean, it was always a luxury in the sense we've always known that it's a luxury because you, but then 
I think what's really interesting is like a ticket to a football match, a season ticket is so expensive, yeah. like so expensive. And a Sky subscription is really expensive as well. So like, actually, if you want to watch football, it's so pricey. Um, but if you want to go to a theatre, there's actually loads of like £10 tickets, £5 tickets, whatever. So like, it's actually not necessarily as exclusive and expensive, but there's this atmosphere thing. And I feel like the culture has felt expensive and exclusive, even if the actual ticket isn't. Yeah. Whereas football is presented as being, this is for everybody, but then it's really expensive. So it's like really interesting to me what the barriers are for people. Um, I find the same thing with skincare and makeup. It's meant to be for everyone, but it's super expensive and ridiculously overpriced, but it's meant for everyone. (laughs) That's such a good point. Yeah. Um, So I guess people will give their money to things if they believe that it's for them. And sometimes that's bad because sometimes advertising just basically makes you feel like if you don't have it, then you're a bad person. (laughs) Um, Well, that's actually what advertising is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you anxious and make you feel like you have to fill this void. Like, I never noticed the peach fuzz on my face and suddenly you're making me feel like I have to remove it. No, screw you. It's protecting my skin's microbiome. But like, you know, it's supposed to make you anxious. And I think, we don't want to sell art to people being like, if you don't see this opera, then you're a loser. Exactly. <laughs> but, like, but like, it's kind of using some of that wisdom from advertising, but then not fully buying into it, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Not telling something <laughs> that people, something is wrong with you if you're not at the opera, but say something will be better with you if you do come. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe you'll hate it, but that's okay. Like it's good to experience. Yeah. yeah. Like, even I go to the theatre and like regularly hate things that I see, but I think it's important to to just learn and experience because then as long as I'm not like forking out a fortune to go, then and you can leave in the interval as well. I think that's the thing, like you're not completely trapped there. I think I've actually gone to half of operas quite often. Like I know that sounds really sacrilegious on an opera podcast. <laughs> But if I know the opera anyway, and I'm just going to production and I hate the production, then I might only watch half of it because I think like, this might be quite traumatic. Do I have to sit through like the whole trauma of the second half or all these terrible things happen to people (laughs) if I'm not like getting anything out of it? (laughs) It's only when you go to the festivals like out in in the middle of nowhere and then you're like, it took me so long to get here. But can you please tell us where people can find you, your work, and potentially buy your art? Oh, awesome. Okay, so having discussed social media, I am very much on social media. Mm -hmm. I tend to, like, sporadically post a lot of stuff on there and share and then hide again because that's what I'm like as a composer. But um, my Instagram is snappleby underscore composer. Um, Some people now think I'm called Anna Snappleby, but that's (laughs) fine. Um... (laughs) and my twitter is just Anna Appleby I kind of hate twitter but I also think that it is where a lot of the music organizations do kind of connect so I think it's important to be on there um yeah my website is just annaappleby.com and you can find everything on there so my recordings my paintings my um short stories all linked on there um yeah my website's probably the best place to go because it's got all the nice photos from productions if you like oh, yeah. you want to go look at all the opera opera production <laughs> photos and things it's exciting um yeah and my email's on there as well so but yeah we'll definitely keep an eye out for everything that you're up to um but thanks so much for joining us today it's been so great so much fun oh thanks so much for having me quiz is brought to us by BuzzFeed. Um, I love this one. I'm very excited to take it. Tell us how dramatic your life is and we'll tell you which opera tells your life story. <laughs> oh, I think we're opening a can of worms here, but let's uh, let's just go with it. Um, so, first question. Avi, which of these are you most stressed about right now? Planning a big event... <laughs> My best friend is going through a rough patch. 
planning my next adventure, not having enough glamour in my life, paying the rent this month, um, and, or, oh, sorry, I don't stress about anything. I, I mean, I think you know what I'm... What, I think what, I know what you're going for, yeah. But mine is planning a big event. Yeah. What about you? I think it's going to have to be planning a big event as well. As I, I'm just quite stressed about moving at the moment, so... Yeah, there we go. Matchy match. Matchy match. <laughs> okay, tell us about your love life. I'm happily engaged slash married. I think we can also say, like, in a long-term relationship. Slash, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lewis, if you're listening, no pressure, babe. <laughs> <laughs> love life? More like lust life. Mm. I'm in love with someone from a well-to-do family. That would be very nice. I'm in love with the girl slash guy next door. Mm. Rom-com. I like someone, but I'm not sure if my family approves of them. Mm. Love is for the week. Look how big the, that lettering is there. Is that, <laughs> love is for the week. Love is for the week. Awful. Are we like going I for the same, like again? the same again? I'm happily engaged, that's married. Okay. Um, you're fighting with a friend. What about? Okay. They borrowed money from me and never paid me back. They never want to do what I want to do. They flirted with the person I like. <laughs> they said I like to live beyond my means. They went behind my back or I try not to fight with my friends. <sighs> I mean, none of them apply apart from I try not to fight. I know, you? I feel like we both going for that same one. Yeah, and that's not me trying to be all nicey-nicey, honestly. None of those. I've I had just don't like the of stress problems. of fighting with people. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you got a speeding ticket. Where were you going? to a political rally, to visit my sick relative, the mall on Black Friday, to pick up supplies for a prank I've been planning, <laughs> a party, um, I just like the rush of driving fast. That's a good question. That's a really good question. Why would you get a ticket? I think I would do get one for visiting. I mean, I do enjoy driving fast, but at the same time, the last time I drove, I was so anxious about being behind the wheel for the first time <laughs> that I was driving Miss Daisy. Um, I'm going to go to visit a sick relative. Okay. What are you going to go with? It's While between, no, it's between the, to pick up supplies for a prank, because me and Lewis do a lot of pranking to <laughs> parents. Um, but I'm going to go with, I just like the rush of driving fast, because I used to have a Fiat 500, <gasps> one of those My tiny, they're just tiny cars, and yeah. they're the easiest thing to drive so I just like floor it. I mean, it couldn't go very fast anyway, but it was the thrill of it. You got fired from your job. Why? My boss hates me. I called in sick, but then they found out I actually um, I was actually at a concert. <laughs> fired? I quit. Don't work for anyone. Wow. Wow. Okay. I had to take off too often for personal reasons. Well, Okay. I would never get fired. I'm the perfect employee. Job? I am too wealthy to have a job. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Someone's arrogant. What are you going for? I would say, oh, I mean, the last two are pretty arrogant. Yeah. But uh, probably I had to take off too much time for personal reasons. Okay. I'm going to go for fired, I quit, <laughs> I don't work for anyone because... Um, both of us are kind of living this freelance life. Exactly. So We're both amen to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So which of these is most important to you? Freedom, friends, family, my homeland, fun, or riches? Mm-hmm. Friends and family, they're in two different sections. Yeah. That's not fun. <laughs> That's not fair. I also think that when you live abroad, your friends become your family. Mm. Well, friends become your family, so just just, family. Put, it, just yeah. put it all under one. What about you? Um, I'd probably go the same, family. <gasps> <gasps> I love how that's our reaction when the, answer, <laughs> the the result comes through every week. Go on then, Abby. What did I get? You, my friend, have gotten Le Nozze di Figaro. Hmm. <laughs> You're just trying to marry your beloved and start a family. Are you trying to start a family? <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. Simmer down. <laughs> but things... Louis, this is not... No pressure. <laughs> but things just keep getting in the way. I mean, this sounds more like my life. Get ready for a long day of folly, scheming, and general confusion. But don't worry. All's well that ends well. 
Well, you said that it sounds like your life and you also got Linotti de Figaro. <laughs> there you go. I mean, that isn't surprising. A lot of our answers were the same there, but what a good yeah. quiz. That was a great quiz. All right, all right, all right. And we are ready for this week's question, which is, what creative skill would you love to try but haven't yet? Don't come to me first, because my head just goes like, boom. All right, I'll tell you mine. I would love to needlepoint like the old lady I am. Oh, Abby. Every single week of since lockdown hit, and my Instagram was like needlepoint galore, because apparently everyone was getting in, but I just couldn't justify pouring out the money because every creative skill costs Mm -hmm. money yeah yeah but i would love to needlepoint i'd love to like make like needlepoint cushions and like oh that's just mm. you know that's i mean that's a good one i've personally have never really been into that stuff but i think that's a really good one because it's not dirty and it's like yeah sit and watch tv and go "Mm." okay 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 just getting there. I had a lot of time to think about this question when you asked me. I was like, what would I answer? There's just a few things that come to mind, and it's hard to narrow it down to one. But I'm going to go with the one that has been on my mind most recently, and that is to kind of get a little bit better at like gardening type stuff. Ooh. So even though I haven't got a garden, in the new flat, there's going to be space to have some plants outside so I definitely want to get that and I've also seen just very briefly like two seconds on the Ikea advert is that they've got those like boxes where you can like grow your vegetables and stuff yeah so I'm gonna like grow some carrots I think that (laughs) sounds great I'm gonna give a go but also you have like you do have all that patio space that you can oh and we've never we've never used it really in the flat we're in now so that is something that I want to make sure I do in the new place that sounds really nice. Because I'm only currently a plant mum to Mabel. And so I'd like to expand. expand my How is Mabel? Plant. She's okay. <laughs> although her baby is getting a little big. So I think we're going to have to move the baby out. What is the baby's name? Um, I've not named the baby. I'll tell you next time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Well, 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 well. It is time for a brand new shanking span shiny. That sounded weird. But segment. It's called Composer of the Month, where we get to introduce you to a marvelous new composer. And this month, it is... I'm kidding. It is Anna Appleby. So take it away, Anna. Oh, 
that is all for episode 67 of AA Opera. A huge thank you to Anna for joining us and for featuring as our composer of the month. We loved hearing all of your music, Anna, and you're just a top quality person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Go check out all of her art, um, both physical art and spiritual Musical art. art. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All on her website at AnnaAppleby.com, as well as on her Instagrams. And if you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please make sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. We have way more episodes coming in Season 5 and way more exciting content as well. And be sure to be following us. Uh, us? Us. <laughs> be sure to be following us on all social media platforms. We are AA Opera Pod everywhere. And you can get in touch with us at aaoperapod at gmail.com. Lastly, if you really love the podcast and you want to become part of the AA Opera community, then please check out our Patreon. It's www.patreon.com slash aaopera. And that's all. We shall see you soon. See you next week. Bye. Cap and gowns. Bye. <laughs>